chapter 13 this morning as we study together. You know, we've been looking at the Ten Commandments this summer. Ten weeks in the Ten Commandments as we worked our way through the summer. And we will launch into a new sermon series in a few weeks in Ephesians chapter 4. But until we get to Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to take a few weeks to just speak into some, some matters of the heart. A few weeks for me to just share with you from a, a few different passages of Scripture, some things that the Lord has laid on my heart. And, and one of those comes from Numbers chapter 13 today. And in many ways, the background for what is happening in Numbers 13 is a continuation of the story in the book of Exodus. In Exodus, we find that the, the children of Israel, they, they uh, are, are let go by the Egyptians. They Literally, Exodus comes from the fact that there is an exodus. There is an exit from over 400 years of captivity and oppression in the, under the hands of the Egyptians. And the children of Israel are set free. And then as they wander about in the wilderness, waiting to receive the promise that God had given them of a, of a land that flowed with milk and honey that goes all the way back to Exodus chapter 3, verse 8, we find them waiting for the next, the next step, so to speak, the next part, the next uh, the next evolution, if you want to think of it, of uh, the unfolding part of God's plan. And so as we look at this this morning, I think there's some important lessons for us to learn about how we live and how we follow and obey God. And so I've entitled this morning's message, Faith Shapes Our Perspective. It's all about how having the right perspective helps us see things the way that we should, and that faith is the key that we'll see this morning to having that proper perspective. You remember a few months ago, this thing that kind of blew up in, uh, in, in social media, and, and it seemed like it was everywhere. The whole Laurel-Yanni debate, do you remember that? That it was like this little sound clip, and, and you either heard Laurel or you heard Yanni when they played that sound clip. And it was, it was similar to a, 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 visual, a visual version of that, if you will, from a few years ago, the dress thing, you know, and you saw this picture, and either you saw the dress as one set of colors, or you saw the, you saw the dress as, I think it was white or blue or something like that. I don't remember exactly. But each of those examples is all about perspective, right? It's all about your ability to hear or see something based on the perspective that you have. Perspective is really key. Have you ever, have you ever witnessed something? Maybe you've seen it from a variety of different vantage points, a, a number of different points of view. So a few years ago, uh, and, and I guess a couple of times over the years, I have been privilege, kind of, it's kind of been a neat thing where I've gotten to go to the Oklahoma City Thunder basketball game and pray, lead the invocation before the game, okay? And so you get out on the court there where all the players are, and these guys that look really big, and, but not quite as big when you're sitting up in Loud City, which is normally where I would sit, right? But when you get down there on the court with them and you have an entirely different perspective, you see it from a different vantage point. In fact, the very first time that I did this several years ago, they, they have this mark right in the center, center of the court. And, they, and you, you show up early beforehand and they take you out and they like rehearse everything with you and they tell you exactly where to stand and what to do and when you're going to do it. And so I go out to my mark, right? The clock 
counts down the, and, and they have you go out and the lights go dim throughout the Chesapeake arena and the spotlight comes on you. And as I'm, as I'm making my way out, just before the clock, when they have you go out to the middle of the court, I stand there and I look down and literally as close to me as this stage box that's right here on our stage was Kendrick Perkins' head. And, and he was on the ground there and a trainer is stretching him out, all seven feet of him, you know, uh, on the ground there. And, and he's got the bands and he's stretching him out and getting him ready for the game. And it was the most awkward thing. I didn't know what to do because I looked down and it's like I'm making eye contact with this giant on the ground. Or, do, you know, what, what do you do? And, uh, and, and so I kind of just looked down and I looked over and kind of gave him a nod and and, you know, act and, you know, act like you've been here, act like you belong or something. And on the inside, I'm thinking, this guy's massive. He's huge. And then, uh, and then he gets up and the players line up and they do, they do the, the, the invocation, the national anthem and all those things. And it was really kind of a neat moment. But in that moment, you know, I gained a whole new perspective. You know that se- seven feet is tall. Like, you know these NBA players, and I don't know if he's actually seven feet, but he's huge, right? Whatever it is. His wingspan's probably 12 feet. I don't know. It's, the guy's big. And, and, and you know they're tall. But then when you stand there among them, I look like a grasshopper. I looked tiny, right? Well, we'll see from the passage that we're going to study in Numbers 13 today that there were some spies from Israel sent into the promised land to check out the promised land and and to come back and report. And they even reported about how massive it seemed like the people were and that they felt tiny compared to these giants that they saw in the land. But you know, God had promised them that he was going to give them the land. So was God going to give them the land or not, right? It was, a matter of, it was a matter of obedience, a matter of acting on faith. And their faith helped shape their perspective of how they saw things. And I want us to see that as we look at this passage, how faith helps to inform our perspective on things. You probably know this story well enough to know that 12 spies were sent into the promised land. And they came back and 10 of them said, Now, there's no way. There's no way. Those people are huge. Their cities are huge. Their walls are huge. There's no way that we can do that. And two came back saying, listen, let's go now. Let's not wait. Let's go go conquer them. Let's go occupy God's promised land now. So two saw, saw God's promise and 10 didn't. What's the difference? Well, ultimately, it's a matter of faith. Faith shapes our perspective on things. We'll see. Let's read together Numbers chapter 13, starting in the verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the people of Israel. Now, there it is. Verse 1, first sentence from the beginning. What do you see in that? God says to Moses, Moses, send spies into the land. Send these men, right, to spy in the land. And How is it that God describes the land to Moses? This is is important. Which I am giving to the people of Israel. So regardless of what they saw on the other side, hasn't God already said, you guys go check out the land I'm giving you. God's going to do what he said he was going to do, right? He's able to deliver. Faith shapes the way that we see things. And so from each tribe of their fathers, you shall send a man, everyone a chief among them. So not only are they to send 12 men for the 12 tribes, but they're to send the chief of each tribe. 
the, the heads of the families, so to speak. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord, all of them men who were heads of the people of Israel. And these were their names. From the tribe of Reuben, Shemua, the son of Zakur, From the tribe of Simeon, Shaphat, the son of Hori. From the tribe of Judah, Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. From the tribe of Issachar, Egal, the son of Joseph. From the tribe of Ephraim, Hoshea, the son of Nun. From the tribe of Benjamin, Palti, the son of Raphu. From the tribe of Zebulun, Gadiel, the son of Saudi. From the tribe of Joseph, that is from the tribe of Manasseh. Gadi, the son of Susi. From the tribe of Dan, Amiel, the son of Gamali. From the tribe of Asher, Sether, the son of Michael. You didn't know how to biblical name, did you? From the tribe of Naphtali, Nabi, the son of Vopshvi. From the tribe of Gad, Geuel, the son of Maki. And these were the names of the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land. By the way, don't ever try to read a list of Old Testament names unless you practice it first. I practiced out loud, and it was rough the first time, but I got it the second. All right. These were the names of the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land. And Moses called Hosea, the son of Nun, Joshua. Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, Go up into the Negev. Go up into the hill country. Negev was the south. It was the hill country. If you know anything about the geography of Canaan, the geography of Palestine, to the south is the more mountainous region. And then north of that is the valley is the, the, great, the great valley that runs between the Sea of Galilee and the, the Sea of Nazareth. Uh, I mean, the upper area around Nazareth with the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea, excuse me. This great valley area, this, this, the lowlands. So the south is the high country in all of this. So he tells them, go to the Negev in the hill country. Now, why is that significant? Because what he's saying is, I want you guys to go claim a high perch where you can see everything. I want you to have the best seat in the house. I want you to get up on top of the mountain, and I want you to look down into all of the land that I'm going to be giving you. Even in that, again, God is telling them, listen, if you will just go see it with your eyes and believe, I'm going to deliver this into your hands. And so what are they to look for, verse 18, and see what the land is, and whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many, and whether the land they dwell in is good or bad, and whether the cities that they dwell in are camps or strongholds, and whether the land is rich or poor, and whether there are trees in it or not, be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. So it's in the springtime. When the grapes are, are ripening up, things are warming up. This is the time. This is, the, this is a time when the land was flourishing. This was a time when things would have been green. And, and they would have had such a great perspective of, of, of all that God was going to give to them. Verse 21, they went up. They spied out from the land, the wilderness of Zin, to Rehob, near Labo Hamath. Then they went up into the Negev and came to Hebron. Achiman... Sheshai and Talmi, the descendants of Anak, were there. Hebron, it says, was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. And they came to the valley of Eshkol and cut down from there a branch with a single cluster of grapes, and they carried it on a pole between two of them. And they also brought some pomegranates and figs. And that place was called the valley of Eshkol because of the cluster of the people of Israel cut down from there. 
All right, so what's happening here? They go into, they go into the, the land of promise, these 12 spies, these 12 heads of the families. And, they, and they, they travel and they look and they see. And what they noticed, what they zeroed in on, particularly when they came to, the, in the Negev, in the south, to a place called Hebron, they noticed these three individuals, Achiman, Sheshai, and Talmai. They were descendants of Anak. Here's why that's significant. In Hebrew, the word Anak is the word for neck. And it's descriptive here of the Anakites who were, essentially they were giants. They were, they were a tall race of people whom many of the Israelites believed were descendants of the Nephilim. You're going to see a reference to that in just a minute. Well, who were the, who were the Nephilim? The Nephilim, you go all the way back to the early chapters of Genesis and the time of Noah, and you see the Nephilim, who were the sons of men as it was described. Now, the Nephilim were, were a race of people that were so tall, that were so massive, that the popular idea of the day is that they were the product of relationships between the gods and women. That was the idea, right? That was kind of the, the lore about the Nephilim, that these guys were huge. They were a, a race of giants, essentially. And the Anak were descendants of the Nephilim. What does that mean? It means they were big. It means that they were, they were going to be no pushover when the Israelites were to invade. And yet, faith, again, determines how they understand this. Either they're going to see this as, man, look at these giants that God's going to give into our hand. Or they're going to see it as, these guys are giants. There's no way. Right? It's all about faith informing their perspective. We go on in verse 25. At the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land. And they came to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey. And this is its fruit. Now, why is that significant? That this description of the land as flowing with milk and honey. Because when God appeared to Moses in Exodus chapter 3, the, the, the scene of the burning bush, God promised Moses that he was going to give him a land, a land of promise, and that it was going to be a land flowing with milk and honey. And when the spies came back and they reported that they saw this land and that it was a land flowing with milk and honey, what does that tell us? That tells us that it was what God said it would be, that God had already made good on his promise and was going to deliver them. And yet, 10 chose not to believe, and two chose to believe. That's an important point. Verse 28, however, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the hill country. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea along the Jordan. But then Caleb spoke up. Verse 30, and Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, I love this, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. And then the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against these people, for they are stronger than we are. And so they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it of a great height. And we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim. 
And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers. And so we seemed to them. So 12 go into the land and they come back. Two men, we know, saw promise. Two men saw God's hand able to deliver them. And 10 saw an overcomable, an, an, an uh, overcomable, that's not even the right way to say that. They couldn't do it. How about that, right? 10 saw the fact that there was an obstacle here that they could not overcome. Insurmountable, by the way, was the word I was looking for. It came to my mind after that. They saw an insurmountable obstacle that they couldn't overcome. They saw, they saw these giants. They saw great cities. They saw, they saw what they could do with their own hands, and they thought, there's no way. Now, why is this important? Well, because faith informs their perspective. I want us to see four things in particular that I, I think we see in this text today. Things that happen in our hearts, in our lives, when we walk by faith, not by sight, as 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 tells us. When we live by faith, when, we, when our lives are informed by that perspective of faith. And the first one is this. Eyes of faith see spiritual possibilities. You know, perspective had everything to do with the report that they brought back. Ten men saw what was in the land. The same thing that all twelve saw, but ten men saw it and they thought, there's no way. There's no way we could do this. This is too much for us. It's too much for us to overcome. These enemies, these giants, it's, it's too much. There's no way that we can do this. And two men saw it and their report was, let's go now. Right? It was a matter, it was a matter of perspective. It was a matter of perspective. Our lives work this way so much of the time. When we live with eyes of faith, we don't see obstacles and think of them as impossibilities. We see obstacles and we think of them as opportunities. But faith informs that perspective, doesn't it? Think about, think about, I want to I bring this home for, for us as a church for a moment. I just came back this week from a doctoral seminar on church revitalization at New Orleans Baptist Seminary, where I'm working on my demon. And as I was there and I'm studying and doing this coursework and all of that, a part of the coursework that I was required to do for this class is, is studying some of the demographics of our area, looking at the numbers here in Chickasha, size of the city, numbers of people in church, uh, and all of these things. And the numbers boil down to this, essentially. That it, I can say it this way, that if every church in Chickasha was full to the max, including this one, if you were to fill every, every spot in a pew in this church, and if this morning every church like this in our city was full of people, we still wouldn't have reached, really, by my estimation, not even about a third of the city of Chickasha. It means that two-thirds of our city... and. Here's the sad reality. We know that today, every church in our city, including our own, is not full to the max, is it? Now, what does that say? That means that for us as a church, there's two ways that we can see something like that. We can see that and we can think, man, there are thousands of people who don't go to church. And not only that, it seems like it's harder today than it's ever been to reach people 
to, to evangelize, to get people in church, to, to win them with the gospel. People's lives are busier. The, the, there is a growing number of the nuns. That those are people who, who indicate when they take surveys that they have no spiritual identification, no spiritual or religious affiliation. There are, there's lots being written right now about the nuns and the rise of the nuns. And how there's this rapidly growing number of people who no longer identify with any faith. And it's easy to look at that and think, man, how are we ever going to reach all those people? Or we can look at that and we can say, you know what? God has called us to reach those people. That's our mission field. That's our harvest that Jesus told us we were to be sent out into. And Jesus told us that the fields are white and the harvest and that we should pray to the Lord for workers to go out in the harvest. We have two ways that we can see that. We can look at it and we can see impossibility or we can look at that and we can see opportunity. Faith informs our perspective as it does with so many things in life. Eyes of faith see spiritual possibilities. But more than eyes of faith, ears of faith hear God's voice. I'll take us back to verse 1 of Numbers 13. What was it that God told Moses to do? I want you to gather up 12 men and I want you to send them into the land that I'm giving you. God had promised the children of Israel the land. That's why we called it the promised land, right? It was the land of promise. This was, this was something that God had promised them that he was going to give them. It's the land I am giving to you. And yet 10 of them, when they saw it, thought, no, there's no way. God told them he was going to give it to them. And yet when they saw it with their eyes, they thought, no, God can't do that. There's no, these, these people are, are huge. They're, they're cities, they're walls. There's There's no way. This land devours people. God promised in the land. And those who had spiritual ears to listen, ears of faith, heard God's voice. And were ready to listen to and obey his command. You know, it's important that we live life with ears of faith, as I'm calling it. Of course, I don't mean literal ears of faith, right? I, I don't mean to say, to insinuate, that God's going to speak to you with an audible voice. I, he could. I mean, I believe in God's power to do that. He's done it before, and I, I believe he could do it again. But for the majority of us, let's, let's, let's understand it this way. For the majority of us, the way that we hear God is through his word. The way that we operate day to day in life with spiritual ears, as I'm calling it, is we have to listen to the word that he has spoken to us. Where do we have that word? Well, it's right here in these pages. We've got to study and know and read and understand the word of God so that we can listen to the, the voice of God. And those who have ears of faith will hear his voice speaking. Have you ever read the scripture? And when you read it, you, you saw something and it was like, man, it leapt off the page at you. Like, well, I've read this 10 times before and I've never seen this. You know why that is? It's the spirit of God that quickens our hearts to understand his word so that we would see it. It's the way God speaks to us through his word, through the prompting, the work of his Holy Spirit, bringing it to life. Hebrews describes the word of God as being living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. God can do that. 
And we will hear it when we listen with ears of faith. Not only that, we see that feet walking in faith follow God's direction. Now, one of the, one of the most interesting and I find uh, perhaps one of the, the, the easiest details of this story to miss is the fruit that they cut off of the tree. Notice that it tells us that they cut a cluster of grapes and that the cluster was so large that they had to carry it on a pole between two men. Now, the, the text doesn't tell us this, but Jewish tradition tells us that the two men who carried the cluster of grapes were, you guessed it, Joshua and Caleb. That's what, that's what Jewish tradition says. And so here's the picture. Ten men who go into the land and they see everything with their eyes. And they even see this giant cluster of grapes. And God had told Moses to command these men to bring back some of the fruit. And ten of them saw it and they thought, no way. And two of them who had eyes of faith and ears of faith and were walking in obedience with footsteps of faith saw that and they thought, yes. Ten of them saw the grapes and they thought, The people who eat grapes like this will eat us. They will devour us. And two of them saw the grapes and they thought, oh, we got to show them this. This is insane. Can you imagine? God's going to give these people into our hand. Faith informed the way that they saw it. And so picture this. Picture them traveling around through the, the hill country, right? Up and down these rough, rocky terrain, through these hills, carrying between them this giant cluster of grapes so that when they got back, they could show this to everyone and be like, this is what's waiting for us. It's not just a, man, a land of milk and honey, y'all. It's a land of giant grapes. And yet, the majority opinion was, that there's no way. Look, the, the same people who eat these grapes are going to eat us if we go in this land. Those who walked by faith followed God's direction. Those who didn't saw an insurmountable obstacle. I love Joshua's challenge. In fact, this to me is, this is what faith looks like. This is what boldness and courage looks like. Look again at verse 30. Look at what Joshua says, excuse me, Caleb rather says, Let us go up at once. Let's go now. Let's not just go. Like they hadn't, the armies hadn't trained. These were people who had been brick makers by trade under the the captivity, the thumb of the Egyptians. These were people who, they weren't trained soldiers. They didn't have weapons. They were slaves. Slaves aren't allowed to have an army. These people aren't trained in battle, and they're going to go up against giants. And Caleb said, let's go now, because by faith, he saw the opportunity. He saw what God could do. He saw what God had promised. Finally, we see this, that a heart of faith believes God's promise. A heart of faith believes God's promise. Because Joshua and Caleb believed, they were allowed to enter into the promised land. But everyone else of their generation, including the 10 other spies, were not allowed 
the rest of them, the rest of that generation and older, died in the wilderness. And God raised up a new generation who were allowed to go into and receive the promise in the promised land. So for, for, for 40 years they wondered, for, for a generation, literally, I'm 40 years old, literally for my lifetime, over the period of my lifetime, they wandered in the wilderness, living off of manna, discontent in many ways, not receiving the promise. Because when God said, go, I'm going to give it to you, they said, uh-uh, no, we can't. There's no way. You see, faith shapes our perspective and how we see God's promise. So many people, so many people live lives wrecked by doubt and fear. So many people live lives today, Christians, I mean today, not just people in, in, in the time of Joshua and Caleb. So many people live lives that are wrecked by doubt and fear. Who, who when they see the, the obstacles in life, they think there's no way. So many people live in the defeat of what they think they can do rather than understanding the victory of what God can do and what he's promised. And what I want to challenge us with today is that God has promised us that if we will walk in faith and obedience to him, that he will move in spirit, in might, in power in our midst, that he will give us the victory spiritually. Now, this doesn't mean that if you trust God and you obey God, that all your wildest dreams would come true. Anyone who's ever wrestled with this understanding knows that is, is true. In fact, Jesus himself frames that understanding for us because Jesus himself was the one who told his disciples in, in John, look, the world hated me first, it's going to hate you too, and that ought not to surprise you. He goes on to say that in this world you're going to have trouble, but take heart because I've overcome this world. Jesus himself was the one who told us life is not always going to be easy. It's not always going to be a bed of roses. But if we will walk by faith, if we will trust him and live in obedience to him, God has the power to do what we could never do on our own. Now, there are so many applications of that for us. There are so many ways that we can take that truth and we can live in boldness and conviction in our lives today. But let me give you one that has been stirring in my heart in recent days. And it has everything to do with the mission that God has called us to, to reach our city with the gospel. If you were here last Sunday night and you were a part of our Connect Conference, our leadership training event, you heard a little bit of my heart, of what God has been doing. And I want to give you just, a, just another glimpse at it. There's, it. It's so much, I can't give it all to you here and now. But in the weeks to come, particularly as we get into this, this study in Ephesians 4, you're going to hear my heart of what God, I think, is calling us to as a church. But let me just give you just a glimpse of what God has been doing in my heart. Because he's been, he's been working me over, spiritually, so to speak, over the fact that I have grown comfortable, that I've grown okay with my life and where I am and where our church is, and that I've lost my passion and my burden to reach people with the gospel. That it's not that I don't care to see people come to faith, it's just that the urgency isn't there. The fire isn't burning like it should. So God has been, literally, he's been, 
He's been taking me to the woodshed on some of this in my time with him and time in prayer, time in study. And he's been, he's been showing me that honestly that where we are is not where we should be. And that essentially the, the gap, if you want to think of it that way, between what God has called us to and where we, where we are more to the point where I am is really a matter of faith. That I look at I look at the circumstances in the situation, I think, God, it seems, it just seems impossible. And God's saying to me, with God, all things are possible. I'm looking at things and I'm saying, God, I don't, I don't know how that's going to happen. And God is speaking to my spirit and saying, you trust the details to me, you be obedient. And I think God wants us to reclaim the urgency, reclaim the, the passion, reclaim the, the fire for the lost that, that we ought to have, that, that has burned bright in former days. In Romans chapter 8, Paul is writing to a group that faced seemingly insurmountable odds. Here were Christians in Rome in the city of Rome, in a time when, when persecutions against them were increasing. I mean, the fires were getting turned up against Christians in Rome, especially. Persecution was, was becoming a, a way of life for them. And in the midst of that, Paul writes this, What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who's to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who's at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation Shall distress, shall persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? No, in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What is he saying? He's saying, look, we may be walking into some hard and some difficult times, but God will provide. God will see us through. More than that, nothing in this world can separate us from the love of God. They may be able to take everything else from us, but the one thing they cannot take from us is our faith. Faith shapes our perspective. And I hope that you will have the the eyes of faith to see spiritual possibilities, the ears of faith to hear the voice of God, feet that walk in faith so that you would follow his direction, a heart of faith that believes in his promise. You know what the greatest promise of all that he's given us is? That by faith, if we would trust in Jesus, if we would turn our lives to him, that he would cleanse us and set us free from our sin, that he would forgive our sins and give us a new life in Jesus Christ. By faith, the one who called us 
makes this happen. In a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation, a time of response. And in that time, I want to call us to be a people who act on faith, who respond in faith. How is it that God wants to stir your heart today to act on faith? Maybe for you, it's a matter of of walking in obedience to him. Maybe for you, you've seen the giant cluster of grapes, so to speak, in your life, and you've thought, there's no way. The same kind of people that can eat those grapes could swallow me up. Maybe what God wants you to see is, look, look how big are these people that I'm going to deliver into your hand. Look how big is this thing that you thought you could never overcome and God is saying to you, it's yours if you'll just live in faith. Faith shapes our perspective. In our time of invitation today, if God is speaking to your heart, I want to challenge you that you would respond by faith. Our staff are going to be here at the front. We would love to pray with you this morning. To pray with you and and even help counsel you through the next steps of faith. As you walk in obedience, maybe you're here today and you've never responded by faith and trusting Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you're ready to surrender your life to him today. You may think there's no way that God could forgive me the stuff I've done, where I've been. What? Listen, again, I would say God can do anything. He's already made a way to forgive you by sending his son Jesus to die on the cross. Would you trust him, believe in that promise and receive him by faith today? Let's pray. Lord, help us to see our lives with eyes of faith. Lord, help us to hear your voice with ears of faith. God, stir us to walk in obedience, taking steps of faith. And Lord, implant within us deeply the heart of faith to trust you and believe. As we respond to you now, God, move in us, deepen our faith. We pray this in your name. Amen.